Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. of the Athletic Football Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here, senior writer from The Athletic, along with the GM, three-time GM, former exec of the year, Randy Mueller. Randy, we survived the Thursday night football game. We're both here. Uh, how are you feeling? Have you recovered? You got a hangover or what? I'll tell you what, Mike. It was such a cool follow, even though we're going to probably agree that the quality wasn't great. It was like watching a train wreck, right? And, and you knew it was coming. You just didn't know how it was going to end. Oh, I mean, man. I know we're going to get into this, but we've got Russell. We've got Hackett. Yeah. We've got yeah. the Denver front office and the parts they've played in it. We've got new owners in Denver. And oh, yeah, by the way, we got Matt Ryan and the Colts. So Oh. I'll be honest with you. I thought I was watching a 1987 strike game last night. That's what I thought. I, I mean, I thought the quality was about like the strike teams we built in the 80s. Well, it got, at one point after the game, Matt Flynn tweeted, uh, I could do that. Matt Flynn, remember, was <laughs> yeah. the one who was signed by Seattle to be quarterback yeah. when they were sort of casting about 10 or 12 right. years ago looking for a guy <laughs> and they ended up stumbling into, well, uh, give him more credit than stumbling into. They liked Russell Wilson. They drafted him in the third round. No one else did. He stumbled uh, into about ten million, didn't he, Matt Flynn? <laughs> Matt Flynn. Yeah, yeah. It was a great for him out of the like. That's what Twitter turned into last night. There yeah. was these gifts being delivered at various times unexpectedly. Like, oh, yeah. whoa, what do we got here? Yeah, it's Matt Flynn. Even he's watching this, <laughs> going, "Shoot, I could do what's this going on in this game," which I believe that he could, he probably could off the oh, couch. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, it was it, the quality was not good for the game, especially the the, the shield. You know, yeah, I know Tom to Brady was just talking about it, and I thought, oh, you know, oh, maybe this is more than just the Thursday night narrative. But yeah. we're definitely going to get into that. It's a, it's really an autopsy at this point in week five <laughs> for those two teams. So we're going to do that. Um, we're going to, you know, one of Randy's great ideas this week, you know, as a GM, one of the things we'll get into is Randy would get to this point in the season and kind of ask, how can we, how can I help my team? Because you sort of have a better feel for where you're at. So we're going to do that with a few of these teams. Got the GM notebook, was always filled with good nuggets. We'll get into a few of the games, and then we'll get into a few of the games again as we make our picks uh, this week and hopefully get some of them right. So you ready to roll, buddy? Yeah, let's roll. Let's get into it. All right, Colts 12, Broncos 9. After the game, the fabled Elias Sports Bureau reported this was the first game in the history of the league. That's a lot of history now, the history of the league. <laughs> it's a lot of ball games. It's 100 years, you know. Hmm. Uh where both quarterbacks passed for 250 yards while neither team scored a touchdown. There had been seven games before that with no touchdowns of any kind where the opposing quarterbacks threw for at least 200 yards. And guess what? The last two involved Russell Wilson at quarterback. Is he broken, Randy? Well, I think as we talked about a little bit before the show started, I think you and I maybe are two of the least surprised at yeah. what we saw and and have seen through the first, I guess, five games now. I think I am surprised 
in that the depth of this fall is as low yeah. as it is. You and know, quick. we saw, yeah. you know, some of the stuff in Seattle the last year and a half because we both lived there. Um, there was there was some cracks in the armor. There were some things that you'd shake your head at and say, what What are we doing? What is he doing? There was also some explanations for it, too. A new offensive scheme, a new coordinator, maybe not the pieces around him that he had at one time. But um, I think what we saw last night was a guy that completely lost all his confidence. He clearly was not seeing the field. He clearly did not understand what they were doing, and it showed. And it was almost sad in a way. It really was. Very sad, and I feel like uh, I feel like when Russell Wilson was in Seattle, there were a lot of guardrails to hold on to when he was mm-hmm. there. So for the mm-hmm. beginning part of his career, man, they were so good on defense. They everyone on the that you played against was worried about Marshawn Lynch, right? Um, and Pete Carroll wanted to play a little bit more of a run heavy style, so they weren't making it all about Russ. But he was right. good. I mean, he's definitely a talented player, and he could create, and he he worked at it, and all of that. Now, as his career went along. Um, some of those elements around him fell off a little, and I have to give Russell Wilson credit and the coaching staff their credit because he had some great years still, even when right. the defense was just, you know, it was fine, but it wasn't great. Yeah. Marshawn Lynch wasn't there the whole time. Um, but I do think there's been a, I think he's been exposed here. And to me, as I watch it, I don't mean exposed like he can, can't play, but they, Denver bought the idea that this guy's like Aaron Rodgers and those guys who you really can make it all about them. And I think what we're seeing is a difference. Um, and and one of the plays last night, as we recorded this on Friday, that really jumped out. I actually got a call from a offensive coordinator this morning on was like, "What are you doing going with a pure drop back play on fourth and one?" Yeah. And he's not a pure drop back quarterback. Not that he can't have drop back elements in it, but you can't be a drop back passing team with him and be great. Would you agree? Hundred percent. Never has been. Never been his strength. Yeah. So. I feel like right now what they need is what they don't have, which is a head coach who has the ability to take their control and say, listen, we're not doing it your way. I'm not calling time out to ask you what we should run. I'm not saying it's all about Russ and making Russ comfortable. Bull. We're not getting anywhere doing that. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to run the ball and we're going to play action and you're going to like it. And we're going to win with our defense and we're going to minimize you a little bit. And get the best out of you that way. Is that what needs to happen here, Randy? Well, I think you're right. I think the thinking is correct. I don't think there's any way you can do that now because you've had a head coach who has acquiesced every day since he got the job to whatever Russell wants. We're going to make it all about him. You saw his explanation after the game last night. We're going to put this ball in our you know, star quarterback's hands. Well, where was that four weeks ago in Seattle when they didn't, when they tried a field goal that you know, yeah. a thousand yards, you know, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. So I think it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle. I just, I think that, that ship has sailed now. And I don't know that, that Hackett is going to have the respect of the locker room if he doesn't about face pivot. Like I agree with you needs to happen. I just don't see that. Yeah. So um, yeah. I think it's going to be a struggle. I think you've got Russell and his skill set and where it's at. Then you've got Hackett's issues and and where he's at there. And I always go back to this, Mike, with with Nathaniel Hackett. He's two seats removed from any seat he's ever been in before. He was really the quarterback coach in Green Bay. He didn't call the plays. He didn't finalize the offense. As we know, that was all Matt LaFleur. Now he's doing all of that in Denver. And oh, by the way, you got to coach the rest of the team too. I I just feel like he's giving me the vibe that 
He's uncomfortable in this role. I mean, you see the interviews that he did yeah. like uh, at halftime um, yeah. on TV. It just was uncomfortable. It's it's like his answers didn't even mean anything. It's like he's just robotic saying, we got to finish. We got we got to finish. What are you talking about? We got to finish. How about some details as to actually what we need to do? You know, Absolutely. he's speaking from 30,000 feet with it having no meaning. So I struggle with that. So I don't know how he gets it right. Um, I thought another point that he made in his post-game game press conference was we got the okay to go for it on fourth and one who's he getting the okay from he's the head coach for 100 years the head coach has made that call every day of the week and now he has to hear in his ear that it's okay to go for it i just i, I don't know that, that i just lost more confidence that uh, this guy yeah. can make a difference absolutely that's what we you always talk about can you make a difference on game day shoot can you make a difference at all i feel like he seems happy to have the job like i can't believe this gosh shucks so that's ciara in the front row unbelievable wow how cool right you know, no 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 wait a minute it, it just shows me again that the nfl no matter if you're a head coach or a gm is an impossible training ground it really is it's not an on-the-job training job these jobs are big and if you're going to do that I go back to my old saying, my buddy tells me since I was a kid, education is expensive. So we're educating a head coach on how to be a head coach. In the meantime, we're getting our ass kicked and it's awful and I'm losing my locker room. So just remember that education is it's expensive and teams pay the price when they hire inexperience. I get it. There's a lot of rising up and comers that are really brilliant, but it also depends on how you surround them and the decisions that are being made around them. Okay, so if you're them, they now have this weekend off, and they don't play again until Monday night. By the way, they're on Monday night football against oh, the Chargers yeah. in the next game, so it's going to be another yeah. a, another one that you can't stop watching, probably. Um, but if you were George Payton, the GM there right now, and we got to change something. Something's got to change. I mean, shoot, people are wondering if the coach is going to make it. The quarterback's in tatters. Uh People are looking side eye at the quarterback. The, the receivers throwing his helmet down in the game. I mean, there's a lot of not a lot of people rushing to Russell's defense here, yep. from the Denver locker room or anywhere else. Richard Sherman pretty much going off the top ropes on the post game show, letting out about yeah. ten years of I don't can't stand this guy. <laughs> yeah, he didn't leave uh, us anything to our imagination to connect oh dots, did he? Gosh, yeah. no. Yeah. We all you know knew some yeah. of this that he felt that way, but he's just going public with it. Yep, and and so. If you're in that chair of George Payton, what's your strategy now? Because something has to change. It, it doesn't seem sufficient to me, Randy, to be like, "Hey, okay, uh, coach, here's here's our talk. Here's our points for this week." No, can you make a bold move at this point? We've got trade deadline in the next month. Uh, we've got, you know, do you make a coaching change and just say we can't do this? Who? Would, what do you do? Here's the hard part for George. He has been. Five months now, singing the praises of Nathaniel Hackett to the new owners. He has told them, this is our guy. This is yeah. why we hired him. He sold him hard, my guess is, to the owners. You have to. That's your guy. Now, yep. how do you do a pivot? How do you do, oh, you know, what I told you for the last three months isn't really what it is. Paul Allen used, told me this years ago, I'll remember this forever. He said, Randy, I don't care what you tell me. It just needs to be that way. It needs to be what you say it is. It needs to be what you say it is. I'm never going to say, you know, it, does that make any sense? Never going to tell you what to tell me. It just has to be that what you say. So if you say the punt returner, we're not going to use this kid to return punts because he's fumbled two last week and you run him out there again to return punts next week, 
I'm looking at you like you, what do you, well, you just been telling me we're not going to use this guy. So yeah. that's my point. George has sang the praises of Nathaniel Hackett. He has told these owners, this is our guy. Now he's got to say, whoa, we're going to pump the brakes. It's hard to do. It's really hard. So you do have to try to manipulate some things behind the scenes where I don't think he, George could ever make a change with the head coach at this point, even if you do think he's out over his skis. So you're going to have to change some other things somehow, some way. I'm not sleeping if I'm George. I feel bad for George because if you put Nathaniel Hackett up there as one example, you put Russell Wilson up there as another example. We paid Russell Wilson $250 million and I don't think we can get out of this. I, we can't get out of this deal. We are stuck with this. So my gut is just wrenching. I'm on Tums 24-7. How, I, I used to be, we paid, and when I was in New Orleans, we paid a receiver $2.5 million to get him from another team in free agency. And I knew three weeks after we got him, it was a bad decision. Ooh, yeah. It was awful. It was an awful feeling. Now that's $2 million. This is $250 million. So multiply it by 100, and that's, that's how George feels. So. So do you think, I remember, remember when the offseason started and we didn't know yet how all these dominoes would fall. We didn't know for sure if Russell Wilson would be traded. We probably would have guessed that maybe it wouldn't have happened right away. But all these things happened. When they hired Hackett, the first thing we thought was, well, they, they, want to get, they have to get a quarterback and they want Rodgers. That's why that move made some sense, right? It was, not that you can't hire a first-time head coach who had, whose two jobs removed from his last job. But to me, like if they would have gotten Aaron Rodgers and this played a role in it, I think they'd be rolling right now because yeah. I think Aaron yeah. Rodgers can manage the game. He can handle the drop back. He will. I would actually like to see what he would do on fourth and one. You know, I right. think he, not, you know, he would do better than Hackett would just based on his experience and skills and all of that. Do you think that that was part, realistically part of a reason why uh, Hackett was hired to give yourself a better chance for that? Or no, you had to just absolutely love him as a coach. Well, I don't know the answer, Mike, but don't forget George came from the Vikings. So they played against these guys twice a year for all his time in Minnesota. So my guess is there was a relationship there. He had seen how he operated. And I think he probably gave him more credit than we all yeah. think now for doing what Green Bay had done. I think we all know that it's probably Aaron Rodgers. It's probably Matt LaFleur. He's probably third removed, you know, from anything. And, and in fact, you know, Green Bay brought back Tom Clemens this year to kind of replace Nathaniel Hackett. And I don't think they've, you know, been on all cylinders, but they're, they're, they've survived just fine. But at the same time, look in Miami. You could have said Mike McDaniel doesn't pass the, the test of look, you know, you would look at him, you wouldn't think this is the uh, your prototypical, what a head coach has always looked like, some guy with some silver in his hair and a little, or if he's the young gun guy, that's hard to say that he was that because he wasn't calling the plays. I mean, it wasn't like he was the right. guy, but he's gone in there to Miami and look, I'm not anointing him and saying he's going to be a great head coach, but I think right. we've seen, golly, this guy's affected some things on game day. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a, an authenticity to him. He doesn't seem overwhelmed by it. The guys in the locker room seem to rally around him to this point. It's early, mm -hmm. but like his first impression has been excellent to me. I agree. Uh, whereas I feel like, you know, Hackett has not been. And maybe some of that is, like you said, what they had to do to get Russell Wilson was to fully acquiesce. And remember the things we were hearing when he first got there. This guy's got three of his hangers on now have offices near the coaches. Uh, you, you know, all those things you had to do, you had to sell your soul. Yeah. You sold your soul for somebody who's not Aaron Rodgers. 100%. I totally and, agree. And I don't, 
there's a little bit of a backstory here. Like when Peyton Manning went there, Peyton Manning didn't go for the big contract. Right. He didn't. Now, he made it about him when he got there because we're going to practice the way I want to practice right. and we're going to do that. But he did it in the ways that move the needle on game day, that, that mm-hmm. help your operation. Yep. He was coaching the team because he knew how to do it. And right. he said, no, 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 we're going to do the protection this way. Uh, yeah, Adam Gase, this, that, but we're doing that. We're doing this, right. whatever. Um, and he didn't take a huge deal. He actually took a pretty modest deal when he came in at the time. Right. It wasn't, I don't think it was at the top of the market when he clearly could have tried to push it. Now, he was coming off an injury. Right. They got Russell Wilson on all of Russell Wilson's terms, all about him. They right. made it all about him. They talked him up like he was Rodgers. And like you said, you can't put that back in the toothpaste tube. I just, I think the question for me is, did they do their homework on Russell Wilson? Or did they just want to win the press conference? We know how many times the Broncos have swung and missed at quarterback since Peyton Manning. It's numerous. And they've missed. They've they've had egg on their face. Now here's a chance to get a named guy who, quote, everybody thinks is really good. I wonder how much film they looked at. I wonder how much they dug in to all the things that we knew about questioning the authenticity, the style, the leadership, the relationship in the locker room with his teammates. Somebody said this on uh, the Worldwide Leader I heard in the last couple of days is you can't have an all-team meeting when you're not part of the team. And that's just the vibe Russell had. He really wasn't part of the team. And I don't know that he's been there either. So it's hard. You see Handler throw down his helmet in disgust because the ball didn't come to him. That tells me that's not the first time he's been frustrated. That it's been there a few times. And so that, that was the yeah. end result of that. So I guess my my question is, did the Broncos really do the due diligence that they should have, one, before they acquired him, and then two, before they paid him? I think that's where the, the rub comes. When you're desperate, though, you yeah. do desperate things, right? Hey, we... This is our best option. We got it. If you're George Payton, you can't be sitting there. Was this a risk you sort of had to take? Or could you have done it on different terms and still gotten the deal done and said, Russell, or, or at that point, would Russell be like, I'm not coming there. We're doing it this way. It's going to be all about me or we're not doing it. Well, I think Russell did say that and I think they were okay with it. And so they're going to have to live with this, but I don't know how you get out from underneath 250 million, 180 guaranteed. I just think that is a sick feeling. And I don't, I don't know that this system is going to do it for him. I don't know that the next coach will either because the last coach didn't. We saw this same type of, oh, yeah. not to this level, but we saw the, the cracks. So, you know, hey, look, I don't if know. Pete Carroll can't handle you and wants to move on from you, who's a right. 50-year coach who can handle anything. Right. <laughs> um, that's, a little, that's a little bit telling. So let's go forward to the league meetings in March. I don't know where they are this next year. They're probably, you know, they're going to be at some swank place in Arizona or Florida. And, uh, you know, sometimes at night at the hotel there, you know, the, you'll see a couple of GMs hanging around and having a beer. So let's just say George is in there, Peyton's in there, you know, maybe on his second or third cold one. And Schneider, John Schneider of Seattle comes in and sits down a couple of stools away. What's that conversation like, Randy, when you make a deal that's defining to both and it comes out in an extreme way for one of the parties? And I'm sure those guys are friends, hold each other in high regard. Uh, you don't really hear a lot of people saying bad things about those guys as guys. They're guys you want to have a beer with. So yeah. how does that go? I'm just curious. I don't think it ever comes up. I don't think you can look at him with a straight wow. face. I just think it's really? it's there. Everybody knows it. Um, <laughs> hey, I traded Rick Meyer to the Bears for two first-round picks to Dave Wanstead and later <laughs> traded Ricky Williams to him at the Dolphins for two more first-round picks. <laughs> You and Wani real close now or what? No, I mean, I love Dave, but we've yeah. never talked about it one time, ever. 
So Interesting. I just think it's a, it's a, not a conversation that's going to happen. And it may be that John Snyder wants to avoid it. Nobody wants to embarrass anybody. That's just the way it is. And we all make mistakes. So I think more than anything, what goes around comes around. So, and I know John yeah. enough to know that he's not, he's not going to be beating his yeah. chest. But I will yeah. say this about the Seahawks. Yeah. We, we, we criticize slightly about what they got in return from Denver. Yeah. I think they were just happy to cut the cord. I think they were going to take the first deal that Russell was okay with going to and and make the best deal they could. And it makes sense. We kind of said that at the time. Again, we've kind of been on the front end of this thing. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. But you always wonder how it's going to go in a different place. I didn't buy all that stuff that Seattle didn't know exactly, you know, that Pete Carroll wasn't handling him right. I was like, I don't know about that. But I'll say this about the ownership. I think the fact that we have brand new owners probably helps get Denver. Nathaniel Hackett to the end of the season because they don't know. They just watched their fifth game ever as an owner. Yep. So it's not like they have a long history. They might, again, I don't know the family. Obviously, they're very successful in their own right. But if you just watch like retail this, or something. I'm, yeah, I'm do they sure. know how how low the bar was last night for NFL quality football? I don't know that. So they may want to hire their own people, but probably not going to do it till the end of it because they have a lot of catching up to do, a lot of investigating to do, a lot of research to do. And my guess is they're not there yet. So to answer your question, can we fire this guy right now? I don't think you can. I don't think the owner will. And I don't think George can pivot enough to where he comes out in the right position either. And there's not really anyone on that staff that, that's in that position to take the reins. I mean, Dom Capers, you know, been there and done that, but is not yeah. in that in that realm right now. So let's talk. Let's pivot to a team that we feel a lot better about relatively. I mean, Colts fans, shoot, Colts fans have been at the end of that bar with a, with a few drinks, wallowing in the season. But I'd I'd rather be them than Denver. I mean, I thought there was times last night where where the Colts looked like they might be. Firing people or something. 100%. I think uh, they're one fourth and one conversion in the last play of the game away from them being on the, are we firing Frank Reich this week? So do you buy, in the locker room after the game, Frank Reich's like, hey, it doesn't matter how you get him. We, we gutted it out. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, how do you feel about them? And if you're if you're Chris Ballard now, you've got 10 days or whatever till your next game. You're not as stuck as they are they're not, they're not as stuck with Matt Ryan as Denver is with Wilson for the future, but we can't worry about the future, Randy. we got a, we got playoff expectations that we're managing this year, a team that's underperforming, lacks some speed on the outside, the offensive line doesn't look close to what it was. When the pocket's in Matt Ryan's lap, yeah. it, he's uncomfortable with it. You can't follow through on his throws. <sighs> yeah. Diagnosis there, what, what would you do? Well, that's a hard one to solve. And <laughs> I don't know that you can in week five. And I totally agree with everything you're saying. I think the the Colts were exposed just as much as the Broncos were. I mean, yeah. uh, we all know Matt Ryan's been a great competitor and a great player. He's a former MVP. But I don't know that he's not in more than a shell of himself either. He struggled to get away from pressure. He can't throw on the run. The ball takes forever to get out of his hand. And you're right. They have no speed on the perimeter. Nobody's separating. Nobody making plays at all. And you can say, well, they didn't have Jonathan Taylor. I got news for you. They had Jonathan Taylor and they weren't moving the ball on offense for the first few weeks of this season. So that one, they haven't figured out how to how to make him perform at a high level either this year. So there's some definite stuff missing. Now their defense has, has its moments. I think... Buckner showed why they gave what they did to him, both in compensation uh, pay-wise and in getting him from the 49ers. So defensively, they they have some things that they can hang their hat on. 
Offensively, I don't know where you go. I don't know where you hang your hat on because they were downright awful and, and gave up a whole bunch of sacks. And you're right, it starts up front. Who's? I think the biggest question you probably ask about up front is, and it's hard to say this, but they have not spent any capital on tackles. They have paid all their money to guards. Um, I'm not questioning Quentin Nelson at all. He is a great player, but he's still a guard at the end of the day. They've got to find a way to upgrade their tackles or it's not going to matter what Quentin, Quentin and, Nelson and that- is. Randy, that was an issue all off season. I mean, everyone was yeah. asking about it. They were going with some no-name guys. They were patching with it. I think there was some element of that at the receiver position too, where they they did get some big targets and the guys, you know, some even a tight end or two in the draft that you liked and and we like, uh, you know, we, we like uh, Mike yeah. Pittman's a good player, but but for the speed element, and I'm asking you, you know, shoot drafter of Ted Ginn, Joey Galloway, guys who can flat fly, guys who affect the game even when they're not catching the ball. Um, wasn't that something that everyone said they needed? Oh, I sure think so. And I think they need it worse now than ever before. The hard part is now you've got kind of a, a less confident Matt Ryan, a beaten down Matt Ryan. And I know after the game, he put up a good face in his interview with the crew on Amazon, but let's face it. We all watched the tape. We're not going to run away from that. That was nothing to write home about. We didn't, all we did was we were there at the end and we were the recipients of really a gift from the Broncos. So fumbling, we can... taking sacks. How about before the half when he lost yeah. about 30 yards? I know. It just looked like, you know, it looked like it looked like next year someone's going to ask Matt Ryan, when did you know you were done? And yeah. he's going to say, if he's honest, he's going to say the end of the first half against. Because, right. <laughs> I mean, that's the one thing you can't do. They're just getting repeated sacks and fumbling and. Yeah. And that took me back to the decision to to acquire Matt Ryan. And we talk about Frank Reich and what like his it. future right. is going yeah. forward. But yeah. hear this out. Frank Reich was instrumental in adding Philip Rivers. For whatever reason, they didn't want him back. He was very instrumental in adding um, Carson Wentz. Yep. That was a failure. This is another chance for him being influential in a quarterback addition that hasn't worked out, in my opinion. So going forward... Whoever's evaluating the quarterbacks in Indy, I think you've got to take a hard look at them because they haven't got it done yet. So if that's Frank, is can he be part of the decision? Because let's face it, they're going to have to have a quarterback going out after this year, right? I mean, can we cut yeah. to the chase? They're going to be in the market for uh, probably a young first-round quarterback if they if there are any worthy. And I'm just saying their criteria for how they're evaluating that has to change. And maybe the evaluators they have to get a new uh, evaluator or two to help with this process because they have swung and missed now three times. Clearly. And I think as a GM, part of your job is to find a quarterback that your coach wants. If you believe in your coach as a play caller and designer, you get him a guy that you think that fits well with him. And you can't just pick anybody you want. So uh, the Rivers thing made some sense to me as a stopgap, right? I mean, you you could have made a case for Rivers at that point if you're trying to get a guy. In retrospect, they probably should have kept him another year. Yeah, uh, you I could agree. have made a case at the time for Wentz of like, hey, this is a guy who's played well before. We got Frank Reich. And look, Wentz was bad, but he, he wasn't this bad. I mean, he, I think Wentz is better than they've been this year. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And then this year, you were sort of, ah, geez, you, you weren't in a position to draft one. They weren't going to take right. Kenny Pickett. So you say, well, guys, we kind of lucked into Matt Ryan. I mean, we've had this good offensive line. You could You could sort of find a way to justify each one of them along the way. But I think you're right in deciding how to move forward. It can't just be, this is who Frank Reich wants. Uh, yeah. The criteria because, has to change. That's my point. It has to working. change. And the evaluators yeah. have to change. The decision-making process has to change. And yeah. how you go about that, 
I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Does Jim Irsay in on these decisions when they swap these quarterbacks out? Maybe. I don't know. But so whoever's doing be, it yeah. just needs some help. That's all I'm saying. Yep. Yep. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so one of the months into the season, Randy, this is your, this is a good idea uh, by you because, <laughs> that I would have never thought of because I've never been a GM. <laughs> know some GMs, never been a GM, but what what was your thinking on this idea? Let you introduce it. Well, I'm always thinking from the GM's chair, right? And I yeah. want to know after a month in now, what can I do to help my team? I'm on the road a day or two every week yep. as a as a real football GM looking at college players. I'm trying to get out and keep my thumb and pulse on what's going to happen in the college draft. But I also can't just leave the coaches hanging as this is their roster and we can't do anything about it. So every waking moment, I'm thinking, what can I do to make this team better? So I was very happy a few years ago when the league moved the trade deadline back from six weeks to, what is it, eight now or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it goes into it gave, November. Yeah. It gave you a longer chance to, one, evaluate your own team, and then, two, actually be able to make a deal. So I was good with that because I think that gave GMs a window to to have an effect on their current team. Most of the time when you go to training camp, or at least when you set your roster at 53, the GM's job is in, in some areas is done, and it's turned over to the yep. coaches. I still think there's things you can do. I think you can tweak the roster. You mentioned the speed thing with Indianapolis. Last time I checked, no one has signed John Ross. Um, he, he's a former first-round pick of the Bengals, who we all know is fast as all get out, um, an absolute you know, Burn. defensive changer, change, changes the way people defend you. And I'm not making a case for him being a great receiver, but they've got to find a way to keep people from ganging up on them. Uh, and so things like that, I would go through every free agent on the street, just seeing, can we make a difference? Would this guy make a difference? Maybe it's a veteran player that's that's seen his better, seen his better years, but can change our dynamics in the locker room a little bit as known as a great leader, a people person, just some way to tweak our group so that we can get a little better at the, you know, at, at, at. At least we're trying, we're, we're moving our roster around a little bit. Maybe there's a way internally that you can change, help the head coach change some of the processes that we're identifying. Why do we wait till the bye week? Everybody says that the bye week, we reassess our own our own positioning. Why do we wait till the bye week? Let's yeah. reassess it right now. So I would always be the motivator behind that. Might yep. piss some people off at times, but hey, I'm always trying to get better. I'm not trying to not do what we're all wanting to do, but I think that's important. To have the GM and the head coach have to have that relationship. I know when I was in New Orleans, Jim Hazlitt and I talked every night about what we could do better. We didn't wait to make adjustments at the at the uh, 
bye week. So I think good GMs are all doing that now. They're trying to find a way to make a difference with their roster, with their team, with their processes, and you're on constant evaluation alert. Yep. So you mentioned Colts. That's an obvious one for a a deep threat. You scribbled down the Packers as well. Uh, Are you worried about them? If you're you're Brian Gutekunst, what's your priority um, now, it's not like they have a terrible record, but it hasn't no. looked great always. I just think offensively, they still struggle at the receiver position. And I know they have young guys that are getting accolades and people are picking him for their fantasy team and all that stuff. But I don't think those guys are going to win you games in the long run. I have a sleeper spot and a sleeper player for them. And it, it, it depends on medical. But I think a guy like OBJ, if Aaron Rodgers picked the phone and said, hey, come here, sign with us, be ready by Thanksgiving, I think that could make a giant difference for them down the end. I just think they need somebody like that. If I was Brian, I would probably still be churning out there to find some veteran receiver that I can bring in. Um, I don't see what they have as being special. I know Randall Cobb is is a favorite of Aaron Rodgers. They've got a couple other veterans, but I just don't see anybody that can carry this team. I think if a guy like OBJ went to the Green Bay Packers, he might be their best receiver when he gets off the bus. Now, pending a physical and you get an idea of when he's in shape. Um, the thing about a guy like OBJ is you've got to, and a GM is like this, you've always got to be thinking ahead. You've got to understand that he got hurt in the Super Bowl. He might not be ready till Thanksgiving, but if we sign him November 1, or October 15th, yep. he's, we, we can one, take charge of his rehab so we know exactly where he's going to be. And two, he can be in the building and learn the system. So when he does get healthy, he's ready to go. So we've minimized the period of adjustment. So those are the kind of things I think you always got to look forward to and, 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 and be willing to spend a little money to ensure yourself a better roster for the home stretch. That's all. And that's an interesting thing because it's not like OBJ, given his brothers, I'm sure would love to go to L.A. or someplace mm-hmm. like that. Green Bay is not always a place, even though it's a great place for football. It's not always a place that everyone's looking to move their family on, uh, during the middle of the winter. Right. Um, so if you are the Packers, do you have to step up with a more of a money deal there or is it a Rogers phone call enough? Well, I think it's a little of both. I think you've got to use Rogers. He's your gold ribbon standard, right? Yeah. But- you can pay him whatever he wants. I agree with you. I think the favorite to land him is still L.A., but yep. the Packers can pay whatever they want. I guarantee OBJ is coming if they pay more than anybody else, and it's accessibly more. Sometimes you got to be willing to do that. You can't yeah. always be tied to, well, the market's this, so we'll offer $10 more than that, and he should be willing to come to Green Bay because he's Aaron Rodgers. Yep. You know what? Set your pride aside. Pay him a million bucks more, and, and let's go to the Super Bowl. But sometimes you have to adopt that mentality. That's all I'm saying, depending on where you're at as a team and where you are during the season. I've wondered about the NFC. I was thinking about this with Tampa Bay not looking so great the other day, too. You know, it's just is it one of those is it a year in the NFC where you just sort of hang around? And even if you're a wild card team, you might go all the way. Uh, Is it could a team like Green Bay or Tampa Bay that hasn't looked its best just sort of hang around? And then in the end, okay, now we get. Now Godwin's going, or now we got yeah. somebody on Green Bay, and you're actually not that far off from where you were last year in the end, and you just waited out. I think for me, Mike, every year is like that. Every okay. year is just what you said. I want to be around 500 at Thanksgiving, and that's always my yeah. goal. And everybody says, oh, you want to be, that's mediocrity. You, you're happy with being mediocre? We got six more games after Thanksgiving. Five for sure in regular season in most times. So I want to be healthy. I want to be in the hunt around Thanksgiving and ready to make a push at the end. So I always would, would use yeah. that as a gauge. That's that's our measuring stick. We we played 
in London, uh, uh, when I was with the Dolphins, we played the Giants in the first game ever in London. It was the first regular season game in London. And when we played the Giants, I want to say it was like week six or seven, something like that. Yep. But we hadn't won a game. I think we were 0-5. And, and they were like, oh, I don't know, 3-2 and two or 4-2. and two. When we played them, they beat us like 19-12, to 12, but that's not the story. It was that I didn't think the Giants were a Super Bowl team. I mean, they were just another team at that point. And we're yep. coming up on the halfway point, which maybe we're right where we are now, week five, week six, somewhere in there. And I remember riding home on the plane saying, this, I mean, we could have won this game. We're, we're no different than them. The Giants went on to win the Super Bowl that year. <laughs> so at this point in the, in the season, you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know who's going to get hot. You don't know who's going to push the right buttons. You know, So it's a long yeah. grind. And teams are jockeying for position now, but I think your terms is correct. They're jockeying to stay alive. That's what they're doing, to stay in the hunt till we get to a measuring stick that really means something, and that's week 12. Yep, that could also lull you into a little complacency if you aren't going to make a move and wait it out. Hey, we got Rodgers. It'll be fine at yep. the end, and, and these guys get up to speed. We'll see what they do. What's in the notebook this week, the GM notebook? Well, there was a couple things that jumped out at me last week for sure. The first one that I made notes of last Sunday that I was yep. so impressed with was in the New England game. We all saw them play the Packers. Um in Green Bay, I thought Bill Belichick put on a clinic of game management, clock management, time management. We know that Brian Hoyer got hurt early, and he was dealing with the third-string quarterback, Bailey Zappi. Um, he was not going to let that kid cost him the game. I thought he mastered the clock at the end. And in a world where every week it seems like we watch college coaches and pro coaches, and I shake my head about how bad they manage their timeouts, how bad they manage yeah. the clock, how bad they manage the game— Bill Belichick, and this is not a surprise to anybody, shouldn't be, can still do it. And he was freaking awesome. I thought it was a great, a great testament into exactly knowing the rules, knowing the details, knowing how seconds are important. And it was a clinic that everybody should see. And in the end, they lost the game. They yep. went into overtime and they lost. But I'll say this, they were one completion from Zappy away from on a third down in overtime when they had the ball to 50, away from trying a game-winning field goal. And I thought it was really impressive. So it was the first thing that jumped out at me was Bill Belichick. I wonder how many times a third quarterback has gone to overtime or really close game against a quarterback as caliber of Aaron Rodgers. You know, I mean, that's that that takes some of that stuff you're talking about from Belichick to get that done. So no doubt. I, I thought that also was pretty cool because I've been down on New England a little. I mean, I'm not mm -hmm. like I'm sky high on them, but I just, there's just not a lot that I'm that excited about and how they've done things. So that was a pretty cool thing. Yeah. I agree with you on that. What else you got? We saw a little comeback from the Chiefs last week after we had reported yeah. on their demise the week before and, and they had gotten chopped up a little bit. And what impressed me the most was I thought Andy Reid and, and his crew took the loss the prior week personal. I yeah. thought they said, hey, this was, I thought they did the best job I've seen in probably a year and a half of game planning, of scheming, of executing. So I give this to the players in their win over Tampa. And it was an impressive, actually organizational win. And I was just really impressed by that because they had been challenged a little bit the week prior. I mean, let's face it, this team went to Indianapolis and lost. And then they went to Tampa and, and or played Tampa in, in, and found a way to, to to really change the narrative about their team. And I just was impressed with the way they schemed it and then executed. And I thought they let Pat Mahomes be Pat Mahomes. He was outstanding. And they're, it just shows that they're on it. I mean, Andy Reid's been doing yeah. this a long time. He's not bored. 
No. Andy Reid, they are on it. And yeah. I felt like that in the first game of the year, too. I think they played Arizona. or, uh, But, you know, hey, Tyreek Hill, what are you going to do without Tyreek Hill? Right. It was like these guys care and they're engaged and they are going to prove you wrong. And yep. I love it about them. I love that. The other thing I like about Kansas City right now is, you know, I think in some of the years recently, is maybe it was last year, you know, they were they were so bad defensively. Like there was always they were taking on water somewhere, and you just mm-hmm. felt like okay, they'll get it figured out. But uh, uh, I just think they've answered some questions this year. The Colt game to me was a fluky loss where. Yep. They had that fumble on special teams, and suddenly it's first and goal. It was one of the all-time worst special teams games, which isn't like them. I mean, they have a yeah. good special teams coach. Uh, that's not going to happen uh, every week. That, that That's a win 99. That's a win 999 times out of 1,000 for them. That, that'll yeah. never happen again. You so, asked me before the show also, did they expose the Patriots a little bit on defense? Because as we saw, they were able to run the ball. And they may have given a game plan, but here's who I credit for that. If another team has Creed Humphrey and Joe Thune and, you know, Trey Smith, these other interior yeah. offensive linemen, then God bless them. Because they had Vita Or Vea, they exposed who, Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had, they bit. exposed yeah. Tampa. I'm sorry. And they yeah. pushed that group back, which nobody does. So I, yeah. more of the, more of exposing Tampa, I think it, it, it showed how good Kansas City is interior in that offensive line, that the center and the two guards, they took it personal too. So I was impressed with, with their kind of effort, and not that they didn't play hard, they always play hard, but they yeah. they took the loss hard too. And again, that was part of their execution. And they just said they bowed their necks and said, "I don't care if it's Vita Vea and the vaunted Tampa run defense." We pushed them around. Yeah. Yep, absolutely, that was very good. So Andy Reid, Bill Belichick stepping up—that's good to see. Good for the league. Uh, what else you got? I had one other thing, just in general, of watching the games last weekend that. I think everybody wants to jump ahead to on most cases because they're already talking about the draft. But in watching the games last week, and you correct me if you think there's somebody missing here or if I'm wrong, these are the teams that I identified already as of teams that are going to be in the hunt for a quarterback in the first round next year. I'm talking about the Vikings, the Saints, the Falcons probably, the Commanders, the Seahawks, the Colts, the Texans. And you may even have to put Bronco country in there now as far as a quarterback for the future. So there's a bunch of teams that I think normally you wouldn't have this discussion after week four or five, but I think there's a lot of GMs now that they may not be discussing this internally, but they're hitting the road this week knowing that if they didn't already know that they need to solve a quarterback issue going forward. So that's just six or seven teams that I had written down that I think are going to be vying for a quarterback high in next spring's draft. Have you peeked at any of the guys in college? We'll no, do a separate show on it sometime. I have not, yeah. I need yeah. to, but this made me think about, gosh, I need to get on that because normally you'd, I wouldn't even do that till two-thirds of the way into the season. It's early, and, and <laughs> it's getting late early, as as uh, so, somebody quoted as saying years ago, but it's getting late early for a lot of these teams looking for a quarterback. Yeah. Another thing you had put down, Randy, that I was interested in was some of these young quarterbacks that are struggling, you know, uh, mm. you know, certainly Chicago with, with Justin Fields, uh, yep. uh, Baker Mayfield, who's a little bit more of a veteran, as is Carson Wentz, or now we're seeing Pittsburgh make a change. It's a common theme with some of these teams, isn't there? Well, I just think the quarterbacks get too much blame, That's and I'm sticking up for them, that's all. And I'm not a Nick Mitch Trubisky apologist or a Baker Mayfield apologist or – Justin Field, for that matter. But I think before fans persecute them, they need to look at the tape and see exactly what we're doing. I think we've, you and I have both questioned the offensive scheme in Pittsburgh. Shoot, it didn't 
really uh, highlight Ben Roethlisberger a year ago. And as we know, uh, the Matt Cadet is their offensive coordinator. If I see one more under route, uh, a screen to the tight end or something that's simply, it's just elementary, right? And I don't see any answers being given to the quarterback. So Mitch takes the fall. He gets benched at halftime. They bring in Kenny Pickett, who, yeah, gives him a little juice. I understand it. But he threw three interceptions as well, by the way. So I'm not sure that they could roll Terry Bradshaw out there and make a giant difference in that case. Just the scheme doesn't warrant, you know, blaming the quarterback for everything. And my point is, in, in Chicago and in Carolina, it's, a, it's, a, it's an organizational evaluation when you're talking about the quarterback and the quarterback gets the instant blame Baker Mayfield I know he's six foot tall and he's going to get balls tipped and he got some tipped last week but I also saw an offense that I think at least Ben McAdoo's trying to instill a scheme it hasn't really worked yet they tried to feature a tight end early in the game last week he dropped two balls he got a holding call he jumped off sides I mean didn't work yeah they're just not good enough to run what what Ben wants to do but I'm saying at least I see a scheme there but I can't put it all on Baker he had tons of balls dropped it was uh, uh, fumbled snaps. I mean, not on him, but fun, fumbled handoffs. There's just a lot that goes into evaluating these quarterbacks week to week. Uh, Justin Fields has completed 34 balls the whole year, but they never throw the ball. So either they don't trust him or they don't have a system that can spread the ball around at all. So I don't think they're really doing him a service either that evaluates him. I didn't ever think we'd want Matt Nagy back in the mix, but after watching the last couple of weeks of the Bears, it makes me shake my head. So my only point is, let's just don't put all the focus on the quarterbacks. A lot of times it is the scheme. It is the system. There are other people involved. And I think with a couple of those places, Chicago and Carolina, we, we know there's systemic problems or there has been organizational. I think Pittsburgh's just really interesting because Mike Tomlin's probably going to be a Hall of Fame coach. But yeah. one of the things that I, we've maybe talked about before um, is – I think the great coach can have his staff atrophy on him over time. And I think Mm -hmm. if you look, uh, I watched that with Mike Holmgren in Seattle. When Mike Holmgren was in Green Bay, all-star roster of assistant coaches, Andy Reid, Ray Rhodes, Steve Mariucci, John Gruden, Dick Duran, they all became head coaches and a bunch of them won. It was really great staff. And Mike came to Seattle. He didn't have those guys, and shoot, stumbled around trying to get an offensive, a defensive coordinator. Unfortunately, Fritz Shermer, who was great, died. Uh, and by the end, there was a bunch of guys who, you know, not that they weren't good coaches, but they weren't those guys. Right. And I feel like with Tomlin, um, if you go back in time, they had Bruce Arians, or they had Ken Wisenhut, or they even had Todd Haley. These are guys you could you could criticize them. You could say this or that. But at various points, sometimes multiple times, teams got together and said, "This is our head coach." And they, Ken Wisenhut went to a Super Bowl as a head coach Bruce, right. with a place in Arizona that never did. Uh, Bruce Arians obviously has had success. He's had good quarterbacks, but he's had good good success. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what are you left with um, there? And especially on that offensive side of the ball, because Mike Tomlin's not an offensive coach, I think it's just so critical. And we see that that job is so critical. And you talked about it a few weeks ago of what Matt Canada's background is. I mean... Indiana, Northern Illinois, Wisconsin, North Carolina State, Pitt, LSU, Maryland. That's like in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. So that is something, you know, that's a place where we assume certain things about Pittsburgh. But in the last several years, they've had Dan Rooney die. Now you've had Kevin Colbert uh, retire. Right. Now you've got had some of those name offensive coordinator guys leave. Ben Roethlisberger's left. So there's a real impetus here. Now you draft Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Well, guess what? 
He's not filling all those voids. Yeah. He needs those things. Right. And if I'm Mike Tomlin and and I'm the general manager there, that's big time priority number one. And maybe they probably should have done it this year, but sometimes it's hard after one year to admit that you're making a change. But still, no, what do you think? I agree with you. Those are really good points, and, and I couldn't agree more. I think experience in the NFL is hard to come by. And I'm not saying you should never go outside that. But in this case, you listed the the, the bio of where Matt's been. And none of that has been NFL stuff. So yeah, uh, I just think that's education, again, is expensive. Yep. And, and so as we go to Kenny Pickett, oh, it's exciting. Let's evaluate Kenny Pickett. Okay. Yep. Like you're saying, let's evaluate the whole operation for him because right. he's coming in new um, to this too. What they probably should have done, Mike, is um, Mark Whipple was the offensive coordinator at University of Pittsburgh, and he was yeah. a former Steeler coach. They should have moved him to the other side of the building when they got Pickett and did what he did at, at Pitt with him. And that would have made for an easy transfer of power, I think. But yeah. there's always yeah. things like that. In hindsight, you'd, you'd consider this. But I think we may have even talked about that when yeah. Pickett landed no, you in did. Pittsburgh. Yeah. You, you, I think you did bring that up. And you brought that up a couple times with – I think you brought it up with somebody else too that, hey, that's not Zach a Zach Wilson, a that- BYU's coordinator. Who's yes. now at Baylor? Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. Sometimes you get that guy. So uh, try to make, make it that easy. Fit, yeah, make that fit be as good as you possibly can. We do have some interesting games this week. We're going to pick some games here down the stretch too, but we don't have to pick them all. Um, I started a couple games as you did too. Giants at Packers in London. That's always that early morning game, Randy. Where I come into my office really early and then. Uh, I usually I'm on the West Coast, so I might be in my office at you know six thirty in the morning on Sunday, and then like at seven fifteen I'm like, oh shoot, there's a game, and I turn it on. <laughs> and I'm so happy that I get to watch this game. I almost forgot because I'm not used to it that early. But um, what is interesting to you about this game? I know you started. Well, I'm I'm with you on the early games. I love the early games from London. I wish we had them all the time, but I'm a little older guy, so I'm up real early, and it gives me somewhere to focus. And the other thing is, I'm not a big fan of the pregame shows on the NFL, you know, on Sundays. So this is real football. I don't have to listen to any, this may happen, that may happen. This is what's happening. And I prefer that every, every day of the week. So I think in this case, the reason I'm interested in it is I think the Giants, we all know the record. I think they're three and one or whatever, but I don't think anybody's really bought in yet and said, this is a good team. And I think this is a step up in class for them. I think playing the Packers in London is is a little different animal than they've played so far. I think the style that Brian Dayball has to play and win with with this giant team is a little ugly. It's a little muddy. He's got to <laughs> muck it up. You know, he's got to hang around until the fourth quarter and then hope to make a play. Hope Daniel Jones or somebody doesn't screw it up and we actually make a play. And they were I don't direct know snapping to Barkley last week because the quarterback was hurt. Yeah. Unbelievable. Incredible. Yeah. And in fact, somebody asked me, it might have been on Twitter, why did they run Daniel Jones in there and then have him line up at a receiver with on one leg? I think to that end, Mike, to answer your question, they ran Daniel Jones in there so he could call the play in a huddle, make sure everybody got lined up and then got out of the way. And he could only get to halfway to the sidelines, so just line up. Saquon was probably a quarterback at some point along the way, but I mean, that's too much to ask in the yeah, middle of the fourth quarter on the road to, the, to get everyone lined call. up and know the call. I mean, yeah, come on. I know. <laughs> awesome. So that's the kind of things yeah. that I think I'm looking forward to seeing in Green Bay and Giants is that can the Giants hang around in, in you know against Aaron Rodgers uh, to have a chance in the fourth quarter? I don't know. Well, you talked about that great coaching job that Belichick did last week. It's going to take that sort of a thing. You know, I think New England definitely has a better roster than the Giants, though, to do yeah. it. Uh and certainly Belichick's got a lot more games, but I've, I've been impressed by 
Uh, I think we've been impressed by Dayball almost everywhere he's been, and we, yep. we saw, uh, you know, them do, do it obviously in Buffalo. And I think what the Giants have done is, um, you know, I think they were a comedy of errors before, you know, and I think yeah, that I they're just not beating themselves. It doesn't mean that right. they're necessarily winning the game, but if you don't beat yourself in the NFL, you're going to win some games because the other team will beat themselves or they will be a limited team. So uh, I think he's done about as well as you could. Um, I think the approach is better. The the and and the coach brings something to the table on Sundays to make a difference. I think yeah. you can compare and parallel maybe Jacksonville and the Giants, both coming off the kind of programs yeah. they were in the past. Whether it was yeah. Urban Meyer or Joe Judge, this group seems to be a little more on top of things and yep. and less chaos per se, and more respect from from the leader, from the voice of our team and the head coach. So yeah. for whatever reason, it, it seems to be working. Yeah, and th- yeah, that's one where you have a first-time head coach and a first-time GM. That can be dicey, mm-hmm. but like so far, mm-hmm. I've been like, okay, you know, looks like a couple fine. pros. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a couple pros. Cowboys at Rams interests me, um, Randy. With Dallas kind of being three and one here, it looked like doom and gloom. They lost Dak Prescott. Shoot, it's almost looked uh, better at times, or just more mm-hmm. more coherent here. Um, and I know you, you've been impressed with Dallas too. And that's the team. Let's just give them a little do here because we're all over them all the time. We don't like yep. the Jerry Jones setup. We've wondered right. what they do structure wise with Mike McCarthy having, you know, coordinators and what does he do on game day and all of that. But I think we have to tip our cap. I think you really got to tip your cap to Kellen Moore for the kind of strategy he's employed for the kind of scheming he's employed with the, uh, minus of, of Dak Prescott, what he's been able to do with Cooper Rush, where the ball's coming out, it's quick, they've ran the ball well, and we've said it on here on the show before. Uh, I just think he's learned to call a little bit of a different game. It'll be interesting to see if he can continue to call this when Dak does come back. But I credit Kellen for for kind of almost a, ma- a maturation process of playing to win the game instead of just calling plays. And he's done a really good job of that. Yeah, do you feel like so Dak Prescott once was in that position too, where when he first got in there, there it was it was all about the team and protecting him, uh, and then as you go along, he has success and he, he grows and he's gotten better, and then you pay him all that money, uh, and you have a young coordinator, uh, and of course Jerry Jones is watching. Hey, I got this star quarterback. I want to see a star quarterback. Do you think that maybe um, they got into trying to do too much or or uh, having the emphasis on trying to do stuff with Dak or I guess what I'm saying is, did they get away from what's best to win the game? Because, Hey, we got this quarterback and we're going to do this and that. Yeah. I know what you're saying. I think they did get to where they had to, they felt like they had to be at second level or third level on offense because we've got this all pro quarterback in Dak and we can do so many things when in sometimes when you are without that, you go back to basics, and I think that's what they did. Their offensive line has played better. They have gone back to the basics, and I think that's the lesson. And maybe maybe it took Dak getting hurt for Kellen to, to reel the whole thing in and start at a, a more proficient level. And I think you'll notice they haven't made the mistakes. The penalties haven't been an issue. They're not trying to do all these crazy things. So as my college yeah. coach used to say, let's just do less but do it better. And I think that's what they're doing. The other huge component of this, Randy, is they're playing good defense. Yeah. And I think you can now adjust. Like, like remember when that year when Dak got hurt, you know, and missed five games or only played five games, shoot, they were giving up 35 points a game. I mean, they had yeah. to play a certain way offensively. I think now you've gotten this chance to have Dak out of there, simplify it down probably, just, you know, like you said, the short passes, the occasional deep strike, 
And then defensively, this is the first time since Jerry Jones bought the team they haven't allowed more than 20 points in any of their first four games. So that's outstanding for them and allows you to have that context. So now maybe when you get Dak Prescott back, you get a more skilled quarterback in there, a more experienced quarterback. Can you keep that context a little bit? I hope so, because I hope they don't go back to we can do all these things now because Dak's back. I just think they found the formula. Let's stick with it. And maybe that yeah. this is what it's taken to, to get them to, to pivot a little bit. So you mentioned they're playing the Rams. Are you worried about the Rams? I kind of am, but... We were worried about them last year, if you remember. At certain points, yeah. they got pushed around. And guess who started it? The 49ers. I'm worried about the Rams if they got to play the 49ers front every week because they found out they can't, they can't play. They can't even be worried in the same about room anybody who has to play that front. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, yeah. that's crazy. That was an ass kicking. So unless we, they find some defense like that that they're going to play, I'm not worried about the Rams. I think they'll be fine. Um, I do think they've got to find a way to diversify on offense. I mean, Cooper Cup can't keep 15 yeah. catches every week, and that's the only guy we can throw to. I think they've yep. got to find some diversity there, and, and probably comes with running the ball, even if it's a trick running game, you know, kind of a fraud running game. They got to find a way to to have some other options besides Cooper Cup. Yep. They've been better. When they were better, they were better on the offensive line. I think that's yeah. a, there's been some, some decline there and we'll see what they can do there. Bengals Ravens is a big game, Randy. I don't know. Is this in one of the ones you picked? I need to look at what your picks are. This it is not, yeah, it's not, but I agree so. with you. I do think it's a big game. I think there was yeah. a lot of things written last week because Cincinnati won the game that all of a sudden they had things solved. I don't yeah. think they have things solved at all. I think they've still got issues up front. They won the game last week, so you like to win games when you don't have your A game, but that's a that's still a work in progress with that offensive line, the changes they've made, and we detailed them last week. You know, when they played on Thursday night, we had the podcast the next day. So I'm not sold on the Bengals uh, being ready to uh, turn turn up the heat like they did last year. The other thing is the Ravens, and the Ravens are a little bit of a, up and down psychotic case study themselves, oh, right? Man. I mean, they've lost oh. two 17-point two leads in the second half. We we talked a little bit about John Harbaugh and his propensity to analyze and, and go with analytics uh, when he didn't take the lead in their game last week at the four-minute mark. I just, uh, you got to help me, Mike. I, I, don't, I don't know when it's become a good idea to not take the lead yeah. inside four minutes of any game. I just, I, I can't fathom yeah. that. Well, I mean, I think that comes down analytically to how much you value um, the other team being pinned at their own two yard line. That's that's the key part of the equation because if you go for it, if you go for it on, you're not expecting an interception. Let's set aside the interception at Lamar Jackson. It happens through. though. It does. It does. But it's it's a little bit of an uh, an un, unlikely event. But right. you would you, your choice there would be um, be up seven, which is really good situation, or hey. The other teams at their own two, with this much time left, we're actually likely to be the team to score next anyway. Now, I did a piece on that today, and we've seen a lot of teams pinned deep go all the way down the field late in the game uh, and and score. And, in fact, it's happened twice on the Ravens uh, uh, in the last year or two, last few years. So that that's the key point of it. It's kind of a the analytics – you know, term is expected points. And that's just really, hey, what's the value of field position? And I think John Harbaugh feels like, and a lot of people who are into analytics feel like, hey, you know what? Having them pinned at their own two in a tie game, we're actually ahead because we're actually going to score next in that situation. You sitting there in the in the GM chair, not buying that. Well, I understand it. I guess I see the numbers. I also heard his explanation. I think I would have respected him more if he had just said, yeah. 
we were afraid of Josh Allen. I didn't want to give Josh Allen the ball. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. I don't know if we could stop him. I just I would have yeah. respected that answer more than the one he did give. So yeah, yeah. I just you know I hear you. I understand yeah. it. Yeah. I think again analytics, as I've always said, are part of the equation. That's information we need. But I'm not sure I agree with not taking the lead when you have a chance to late in a game. And they've been so up and down offensively too, uh, which is a part of this matchup that I want to talk about because last year I believe since he had the Ravens number. And they had actually one game. They had a really great plan where they kind of shut down um, that Raven offense. This year, the Raven offense has been spectacular at times and bad at other times. It's been uh, built big leads and then, you know, shoot down the stretch of this game, this last game against Buffalo. They were punting and a couple interceptions. It hasn't looked right. I've noticed one of the things I've noticed about them is they've been really bad on third down. Uh, We'll see if that evens out, but that's been an area of concern, which is sort of gets into the when you have to pass category. Um, how do you feel? Is this one of those games where the Ravens have their way a little bit, but then Joe Burrow just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming and we were down to the wire again and Baltimore might lose? I think last year, yes. This year, no. I, okay. I'm not picking this game, but if I was, uh, I would pick the Ravens. I just think okay. they're a better team, yeah. especially playing better right now than the Bengals are. Like I said, I, I think the Bengals have some issues, whether it's execution of their pass protection individually or from a scheme standpoint uh, on where, how to pick people up. They just seem lost at times to me. And I think the Ravens will expose that. So as long as the Ravens don't self-destruct, you know, if they can keep their people in, in, in uh, on the rails, we saw a little bit of a meltdown on the sidelines with a couple of their guys last week after that game. I think the Ravens are, are, are the team that, that I would pick in the matchup. Yep. So before we get to our picks, there's one more game I put a star by. It seems like the AFC West is playing each other at the time. I don't know if that's any different than any other season, but here we got Raiders at Chiefs in the Sunday night spot. Uh, and the, the Chiefs have looked great uh, lately. And the Raiders have, they finally won a game, but they beat Denver, which isn't that big of a deal. Uh, now, the Raiders were a team, Randy, that I thought would be a little bit better offensively um, out of the gates just because of the weaponry they have. I think Derek Carr's fine. I think Josh McDaniels is a good caller. Is this the Raiders being led to slaughter here in Kansas City, or is there any reason to think that they you know, will get it going or are get it going and can play well in this game? Well, it's an AFC West game, so you never know. Never say never. I, I would say this about this particular matchup. I think for the Raiders to have a chance, they've got to go four corners. They've got to slow the game down. They've got mm. to run the ball as much as they can. Josh has to produce one of those game plans like he did in New England when they had inferior personnel to keep them around, let them hang around. That's the way they've got to do this. They've got to muck it up a little bit and and steal a possession here or there by maybe having 10 and 12 play drives for a touchdown and wind the clock. So I think that's the best chance they have. One, it's in Kansas City, so we know the crowd there is crazy. He can take the air out of that. But I think from the from a strategic standpoint, he's got to find a way to slow the pace of the game down, which is kind of slowing Mahomes specifically. God, seven and a half the spreads on that. I'm tempted to almost move that into my picks. What do you got for your picks this week? Well, uh, last week I was two and one. Uh, got the Minnesota game over Minnesota. Got the Dallas game over Washington. I saw a couple games here that that I like. Um, the matchup Philly at Arizona. I've been bullish on Philly. I think Philly's a really good team. They're obviously undefeated. They're going uh, to the desert, and they are a five and a half point favorite. I'm going to take Arizona in the game because of the cross country travel, because of um, the fact that I think 
the Eagles are going to stumble here at some point, but I'm really going to take Arizona in the five and a half because of their defense. Their defense got after Carolina last week, and up front, they were really good. Uh, I don't know whether T.J. Watt found a little fountain of youth, but he played really good. Um, I was impressed by the way they tackled and the physicality of the Cardinals' defense. So I'm going to pick them in the matchup with Arizona. Um, I mean, in the matchup with uh, Philly. And you're getting five and a half points on top of that. So I'm taking Arizona in the five and a half. The other game I'm picking is, is New England, giving three and a half points to Detroit. Um, Detroit is uh, crazy, but leads the league in offense. They also lead the league in bad defense. I just think that it's a coaching mismatch. I think Bill Belichick's going to find a way with getting Bailey Zappi reps this week in practice. They'll find a way to win the game, uh, especially against a bad defense that the Lions are rolling out every week. Um, you only having to give three and a half points. The game is in New England, I believe. So I think New England giving three and a half um, is a is. I mean, I think that's a that's a good bet uh, against the Detroit defense that's taking on water and and a little bit of a still a, a work in progress on offense. You know, somebody uh, I can't remember I was talking to before the draft was saying they actually liked Bailey Zappi and thought they had him as their number two quarterback <laughs> in the draft last year. I I don't remember who that was, but yeah, I, I talked to a lot of people. Uh, uh, that was Randy Mueller, by the way, who liked him. <laughs> Not to take in the first round, but you, you liked the yeah. things about him as a smaller guy, which we normally don't like. Right. You thought this guy doesn't play small in the pocket. He, I thought he functioned last week really good, too, without any reps. You know Brian Hoyer got all the time, so Bailey got very few reps. I think now he's going to have a week under his belt. They're going to have a game plan that suits him, and that's, again, why I think I would pick them in the, in the Detroit game. I like so, Zappi as in this spot. So last week, Randy, I mean, I should be more accountable than this, but I kind of piggybacked your, your Detroit pick against Seattle last week. I was I was one-on-one. One. I took Kansas City, <laughs> and I, I took Kansas City against Tampa Bay, so got that one right. I think I got a point with that too. And I just thought you the did, wrong yeah. team was favored. Um, and then I, I agreed with you. I, I you followed a loser. You followed me. <laughs> no, but I, I, I mean, shoot, look at all the things Seattle had to do to win that game. I mean, with yeah. a pick six, they're scoring on every drive and they still pretty much almost should have lost the game. I, I, mean, <laughs> I, know. I mean, it was a lot to win the game. And, and yeah. I, I mean, so that's not a bad pick actually. I mean, th- that was crazy, but I'm a little bit tempted this week. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but you get five and a half with Seattle against New Orleans. Yeah. And we don't know the New Orleans quarterback situation. I don't think New Orleans offense is the Detroit offense. I agree with you. But the one thing that scares me is I don't think Seattle's defense is up to any primetime challenges. That's for sure. They have not found a way to run the ball. And I think the Saints are going to find a way to continue to pound the ball on Seattle. Unless Seattle can find a way to bow their neck I just don't know that they have the players to stop anybody on stop, defense, and yeah, that's yeah. a problem. Yeah, and yet and then the Saints have a pretty good defense. So this yeah. could easily be one of those weeks where, oh, Geno Smith, yeah, he's been great, but you know, actually he had uh, one touchdown and one pick, and they scored 17 points. So yeah. I do believe that comes into play. I am going to take the 5.5 with Seattle and ride the Geno train, partly because one of the X factors in this game that no one will talk about is both teams have been all over the map on special teams. And they've both been good before. Like Darren Rizzi's known as a good special teams coach for uh, New Orleans. Right. Seattle special teams have been a big part of their success. Um, 
uh, over the years. That's a, kind of a volatile X factor here, and mm -hmm. we'll see how that turns out. Maybe this may, maybe that makes this game one to stay away from. I will take the five and a half, and and I will admit I think it's been fun to watch Geno Smith, and um, maybe it all comes crashing down this week, but <laughs> but I'll do that one. Um, okay. I think I would I think I would take Dallas and get five and a half again. I'll do the two five couple five and a half or two. you did a five and a half or two with taking Arizona. Yep. yep. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe you're right and nothing to be worried about with the Rams, but I think Dallas plays good defense. I think they can get after the quarterback. And I think when you get after Matt Stafford, we're seeing a pick six every once in a while, right? Yep. That's going to be, yeah, and there's sure. a couple play in Dallas is that type of team. They, they were really turnover dependent last year, but they've actually played better defense, not just feasting on turnovers. So, I could see that being a game where um, maybe that Dallas defense, like what's the thing you trust the most in that game between Dallas and the Rams? Is it Stafford Probably Dallas's McVay? pass rush. I think Dallas's yeah. pass rush is going to be a factor. And I think the way this is shaping up now is I don't know if the Rams can keep Stafford upright. We saw against the 49ers, it, they got exposed, but Micah Parsons, I don't feel much better about blocking him, you know? I don't either. And that's why, like, look, I'm not saying Dallas is going to win the game, but I'll take the five and a half. You right. know, a, a few other games I'm not going to pick that I just thought were interesting. You know, Atlanta getting 10 at Tampa. I think Atlanta's feisty. Maybe they just get absolutely yep. slaughtered. But they're just a feisty team. I kind of respect what they've done. Uh, they should have beat New Orleans in the first game, you know, or earlier in the year. So I kind of like them. Um, Minnesota. I thought you were going to pick Minnesota. Did you pick Minnesota? No, I'm uh, I'm steering okay. clear of steering. Minnesota and Chicago. Don't really not drinking the Kool Aid on either team. So yeah, okay. So that that's one that I think is interesting. And your Philly one, I'm not picking the Philly one, but I, if I was, I might go the other way. So I think that's interesting. Arizona to me is just concerning. So I got you. Um, I also think it's going to be home crowd for Philly. I think it's at Arizona, right? Oh, you yeah. mean Ari you mean all Philly will oh, yeah. travel? Oh, oh Philly yeah. will travel with a, with yeah. a four or no Philly team. And Arizona is already a market where all the tickets are for sale every week, depending yeah. on who's coming into town, because it's a lot right. of people who aren't from there living there. Yeah. And right. so I think it's going to be a huge Philly environment. And in fact, Randy, I'm giving the five and a half. How about that? I'm going to do wow. three five and a halfers. That's crazy. You're, I'm going to, you're slapping me in the face because I have Arizona. I know, but you and I can go head to head. I think we agree a lot. I think we're both, you know, extremely smart level, level headed <laughs> hey, guys. I look I at it more like this. That's why Baskin that. Robbins has thirty one flavors, right? Everybody gets to pick a flavor yeah, when they walk yeah. in the door. Well, I but I always agree. I usually agree with you, but I, I like to, I, I like you know what? This is my revenge for the okay, Detroit I got the Detroit one last year that I tried to copy you. You know, I got I, my ankles taped. I, I'm ready to roll. I got. <laughs> So you know what? I guarantee this. One of us is probably gonna be right. I don't think you can win, but I don't think it's Pretty gonna be a five. Chance. You can't be a five and a half point margin in the, yeah, in the score. Probably not. I don't think so. Maybe that indie. Maybe that indie Denver game could have had five and a half points total scored <laughs> some way uh, or another. But you got anything else, Randy? No, I apologize to the listeners. We've gone a little long today and longer than us, and neither oh, one of us man. are really long winded. But we're we're, uh, we're fixing to give it back to somebody time. else here. But, Hey, the game went overtime last night. If that yeah. game can go overtime, we can go overtime. Anything right. can justify overtime if that game can justify overtime. So. Any comparison to last night to the Thursday night game, <laughs> I don't want any part of it. So okay. count me out. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Hey, for Russell Wilson, this is Matt Ryan signing off on the bill. <laughs> I'll take their I'll take their bank accounts though. I'll yeah, tell you that. Two weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. So hey, 
He's Randy Mueller. You can find him at MuellerFootball.com. You can find him on Twitter at RandyMueller underscore. I am Mike Sando from The Athletic. You can find me on The Athletic, which makes a lot of sense since I work for The Athletic. And you can find me on Twitter at SandoNFL. Hopefully, we will find us uh, with a better game to talk about to lead off uh, next Thursday night. I don't even know who we who do we got on Thursday night. Let me, let me just take a I'm peek afraid ahead. to look. I'm afraid next to look. Thursday I know Denver's night. on Monday night. So oh, my on goodness. This is, this is Washington at Chicago. Yeah. Washington at <laughs> Chicago. Wow. I think I got to go fishing. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sounds good. I, maybe, it'll, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll surprise. So, anybody. <laughs> Thanks for coming along, everybody. We'll get you next time. This was the Athletic Football Show.